Evening, everybody. The, the people that have braved the possible storm. Good to see you. So this evening, we're uh, looking at the theme of creed, as we've been doing for the last few weeks, as, as, as Nikki said, in the last few months, really. Celebrate God's kingdom by reaching people with his message, by establishing each other as members of his family, by equipping us all to Christ-like maturity, and deploying us, ultimately, for ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. And for the next four weeks in the evening, we're going to be picking up on the morning services and looking at sort of, so what is it practically like? And uh, if you were here this morning, you, you'll have heard Louise send a fantastic message about intimacy and our relationship with God. And, and if you've not heard it, it's a definite must-to, absolutely superb. And in the evening, we're looking about sort of some practicalities. And tonight, we're looking at how we go about creating good habits that will help in our walk with God. We're looking next week about going through fellowship. The week after is going through prayer and Bible study. And the following week is going through tithing. And so tonight, we're starting off on godly habits. waiting for the pictures to come up. Anyway, we'll carry on for a minute. Uh, in Colossians 4.12, uh, Epaphras play, prays that we should become mature Christians and we should fulfill God's will for us. And then Paul goes on to remind us that we're not meant to remain as children, but that we're to grow up in Christ, to be mature and measure to the standard of Christ. And that's the intention, isn't it? We all think, yeah, we want to grow up into Christ. We're happy with that. It's the principle that's right. I'll, I'll buy into that. I used to work for HSBC. And uh, there was a chap came to, to talk to us one day about compliance. Well, if you're in the financial business or even in law business, you know that the man from compliance is not everybody's favorite. He's not everybody's favorite. And me and my team were all gathered together trying to wonder what on earth this was all going to be about and how we were going to survive the morning. And uh, he, uh, he started off, uh, by, by saying, has anybody ever been run over by a rhinoceros? And we looked at him, and we go, no. Has anybody been chased by a lion? No. Has, you have. <laughs> oh, bless you. <laughs> it seemed like it. <laughs> Oh, goodness me. Right. Has anybody wrestled with a crocodile? No. Has anybody been bitten by a mosquito? They are, he says. It's the little things that get you. And for most of us, it's like that, isn't it? It's the story of our life. It's the little things that get in the way of the your fulfilling your purposes and what God wants you to do. So how do you address them? 
how do you get down to it? Because they happen again and again. Now, at this point in our message, in a minute or so, we'll, we'll just need the visual. So I, went, I don't know whether Josh just needs a bit of help in, in fixing that, if somebody could do that. It's on your screen, but it's not. Oh, sorry, it's just not on there. That's what was totally confusing me. Sorry about that, Josh. Right. <laughs> so we've got, we've got Noah's Ark there and the, and, the, uh, and the woodpecker. I'm so used to looking the other way. When I was taught to talk, speak originally, uh, it was something like 40-odd years ago, and the PowerPoints were on 35-millimeter slides, which is why they were slides. And I was out on secondment to Royal Dalton, who did all these presentations, and they said to me, the first time you turn around and look at those slides, we'll switch them off. <laughs> so so it always ke keeps me looking forward. So it's our mindset, isn't it? It's the little things that get you again and again. That part of it is our mindset because we don't ever expect it to happen. I want to remind you of a big spiritual truth. It's in 1 Corinthians 10 uh, verse 13. And it reminds us of this. It says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so you can endure. Your mind and my mind is actually like a, a hotel lobby, if you like. The manager can't stop people coming and going through the lobby. But he can stop them from getting a room. And it's the same with temptation. And the truth is that when God redeemed you, your spirit was made new. But your old earthly humanity, if you like, was unchanged. On day one, your spirit's renewed, but your flesh isn't. And that takes a long time. And it's a long process for, it's for everybody. And that's our battleground. The spirit wants to follow God. But all your habits and your humanity say, oh, just rather leave it if you don't mind. And that's what Paul is battling about with in Romans chapter 5 through to 7. And in Ephesians 4.30, Paul tells us that God has put his seal upon us as a guarantee of our salvation until the day of redemption. Now, what does that mean? When you seal a package, when you tape it up and you put all the protection stuff in it, it's protected until it's delivered to its destination. We had a parcel arrive the other day from Amazon there was so much wrapping and padding in it, it was just incredible. The thing was relatively small, but the box was enormous. And the box can get marked and scruffy, but the contents are secure. And you are those contents. Your spirit are those contents. God has protected you in a parcel, if you like, surrounded with the Holy Spirit and sealed day when you finally meet Jesus. 
So when Paul says, God will teach you how to endure temptation, what does he have in mind? He has in mind the creation of godly habits in prayer, his word, Christian fellowship, the things we're going to be looking at in spirit-filled living. And that's part of the reading that we read in, in Peter. Now, you're going to see a slide in a minute. Uh, and uh, what I want you to do is bear with me. It's going to be there. And I want you to look at it. I'll give you five seconds. And I want you to speak out loud what you see after five seconds. Okay? Josh. Five, four, three, two, one. What do you hear? What do you see? The research says almost nine out of ten of you will have seen opportunity is nowhere first. And then you think to yourself, there's a catch in this. So why do we think that? Why do we look at something and immediately pick the negative one of two options? Maybe it's our cynical nature or whatever. But opportunity is now here. And it's here tonight. If you believe God will show you new opportunities for developing your relationship with him tonight, he will. What you've been singing, if you said it, I'll believe it. Yeah? That line keeps going on, doesn't it? When you're driving out, when you're doing all this, that line comes again and again and again. And the bad news is that spiritual maturity is not automatic. Hebrews 5, 12 and 13 says this. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and can't eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what's right. And like feeding food, it's a continual process, isn't it? You know, I don't, I can't for the life of me remember what we had for Sunday lunch three weeks ago. But I do know that it sustained me for the day, it kept me going, and it gave me all that I needed. And so too, when we feed on God's word, day by day, it's nourishment. It's nourishment. And you might not remember precisely what you'd had two weeks ago or three weeks ago or whatever, but it equips us for the day. And it's a continual process. 2 Peter 3.18 says, You must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it says, you must grow. So who must do it? You, me. When? Now. And 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8 says, you must train. Train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good. Sorry, physical training is good, but training for godliness is even better. So these are continual presence tends to always train. Always train, keep on, keep on. When we got married, not been married very long, we went to a thing at our church. And there's a chap there called Campbell McAlpine who was speaking. Now, for those of you who are interested in pedigrees, 
uh, he'd been involved in the Hebridean revival in the 50s and in the early 60s. And he was challenging us to spend the first hour of each day with God. Now think about it for a minute. He was challenging us to spend an hour each day with God. And my thought process was going, oh, that's not for me. That's just really not for me. I can't get up in the morning. I'm no good at this stuff. You know, I really can't do it. And then he played it a bit dirty. He said, do you think? And then he described exactly what I was saying. He said, you're thinking. You can't possibly do it. This isn't your scene. And then he said, are you saying that you're too tough a nut for God to crack? Well, that got me, that bit. Are you saying that God can't get you up in the morning? Are you saying that actually you're too big for God on this one? Or are you prepared to give it a go? And so I spent my married life, working life certainly, I allowed myself leeway at weekends. So we set the alarm at six o'clock and I spent that first hour with a large cup of coffee, a very strong cup of coffee I have to say, uh, in my Bible and support books and reading. And I did that through all of our career. And sometimes at work, life was incredibly busy. And I would be working until one and two o'clock in the morning. And the temptation then was to change the alarm clock and say, well, we won't bother tomorrow. But I'm glad that I didn't. Because in those days when I was stressed and tired, but I'd taken time to get up early to spend time with God, those were some of the most fruitful times uh, that we had in Crusaders, uh, and in other things as, as well. So opportunity is now here. And you could start now. The language of the Holy Spirit working in our lives to bring transformation, to bring power, to bring fruitfulness is actually a three-way process. Much of life uh, is putting ourselves in a place, I think it was Woody Allen, was he says, 99% of life is turning up. It's being there at the right moment. We put ourselves in a place, or we find ourselves in a place where something is going to happen to us. It's passive. God takes the initiative, and he does it all. Something we can't, for example, our salvation. I couldn't earn my salvation at all. It was God who did everything. But there are some things that we make happen. And it's active. I do it. And it's when I respond to God's call, when I obey a prompt, and I take steps of obedience. A personal story, really. Uh, when I was in my late teens in our church, uh, we dug a baptistry. Uh, and I was one who was there in the big hole digging this thing. And of course, then the pressure came from the pastor. Well, Ian, you've not been baptized. You need to be baptized. And I said, oh, no, no, not for me. I, everybody knows I'm a Christian. Why should I need to be baptized? And he kept on. And I kept saying, no, thank you very much. And then something like 10 years later, I was doing some preparation for Crusaders, or rather Urban Saints, as now called. And I was scribbling with ideas and thoughts. And I wrote something like, faith is obedience in practice, or obedience is faith in practice, or something like that. And I heard three words. 
right out of the blue. It's never happened to me before or since. But you're not. And it just hit me. It was like a pole axe. What's it all about? Because baptism was not on my mind at all. Ten years had gone by since all that. And not only that, but I'd been leading a youth group. And I'd been getting people to be baptized. So my youth group were being baptized. Uh, And God said, but you're not. And it took a while to twig. And then I had a terrible dilemma. Because, you know, it would seem hypocrisy for me to then suddenly admit that I'd been getting all these youngsters baptized and I'd not been. I thought, what am I going to do? So in the end, I gave in. And I phoned our lead elder at the time and said, Hugh, I need to be baptized. And there was this sort of silence on the other end of the phone. Because I think he'd never passed his mind for a minute. I wasn't. And so anyway, I put the phone down. The minute I put that phone down, I was a different person. Because all my Christian life, I'd had God. But from that moment, he had me. He had my will. And I found myself with spiritual gifts. I could know what people were thinking. That was scary. I knew stuff about situations that nobody ever told me. And God used me in a remarkable way. And time went on, and then we had a a guy who was our pastoral support leader at at Sandbach, where I lived, and he was one of the leaders, I was one of the the lay leaders, Um, and I met with him for prayer probably half an hour on on one one day a week before I went out to work. I went out to work soon after seven, so it was very early. So I got up for this meeting. And right out of the blue, he says to me, Ian, you're going to speak in tongues today. Well, I have to tell you, there was nothing further from my mind (laughs) at that particular moment than what he was saying. And I found myself saying, oh, all right then. And he prayed for me. And I have no idea what he was praying. But I know what God was saying to me. And it was something like, you arrogant so-and-so. You're not prepared to be made to look stupid for me. And that's what I thought it was. And bit by bit, speaking in tongues happened. It wasn't a great flash of anything like some people did. It was like learning Welsh. Uh, a strange experience. But it was about submitting my will. And in the same way with baptism. Baptism tells us be baptized. Yeah, there's no short, there's no, there's no exclusion in that. And he says that to all of us. And we don't have options in these things. If he says it, I believe it. And will I do it? Because I found in my spiritual life the habit of doing what he prompts me. If you feel a prompt of God to do something that you know is godly and you know is right... And for goodness sake, do it. Because you then start to find, maybe years afterwards, that something you were prompted to do that at the time made no sense, you find years on, was of astonishing significance to somebody or someone somewhere. Not that long ago, we were building Kibagora Polytechnic in, in Rwanda. 
the project had run out of money and we needed 30,000 pounds very, very quickly. And I phoned something like 10 of you to ask for 3,000 pounds. And 10 people said yes. The prompt was there, the business case wasn't, nothing, no supporting information, just we feel God wants us to do this. And 10 people did it. And that actually enabled Kibagora Polytechnic to happen. There are now 5,800 students at that university. 1,500 will graduate this year. You know, it's an astonishing input by just obeying God's prompt at the time, which made no sense. So what are the habits that we need to make happen to unleash the Holy Spirit partnership that's going to work in our lives. And Tom's going to tell us some of them. Good evening, everyone. I'm interrupting Ian to answer the question, what are the things or habits we need to make happen to unleash that Holy Spirit partnership to transform our lives? Firstly, we need to decide Decide what we need to do and start right now. Be intentional about your habit change. It must be a clear act of your will. Make every effort, as the Apostle Peter stressed in our reading tonight. I'll be honest, I'm the kind of person that likes to watch motivational videos before I go to sleep at night. Often titled something like, 10 Habits of a Millionaire, or Unleashing Your Full Potential, or I live like Jeff Bezos for 30 days, followed by some cracking clickbait like, you'll never believe what happened. All guaranteed to include waking up at 5 a.m., taking cold showers, or going to sleep early at 8 p.m. So now it's 11 p.m. by the time I've finished the video, and I'm full of motivation. But I'm always dead confused when in the morning, my alarm is going off at 5 a.m., what was I thinking? So I'll snooze it till seven or later and decide I'll start on a more significant date. I think we can all be guilty of this idea of waiting to start on a more significant date. Usually we put starting or breaking habits down to New Year's where we can join in with the resolutions frenzy. Or we'll put it off till the start of that new job or the new school term or even a new month or new week. Either way, we often put things off. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4 has wise words saying, if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. It is easier to break a habit today than it will be tomorrow. So now that you've decided, declare it. Tell people, make it public Nail your colours to the mast. This always makes it more difficult. It makes it harder to back down. Harder because you want to achieve and you want to show others you really can do it. This September, I'm trying, I'm failing at not snacking on unhealthy foods. Now that I've said that publicly, I'm far much less likely to grab a biscuit at the end of the service because I know that you all know 
and trying to avoid them. I challenge you to follow the words of Psalms 76 verse 11. It says, make vows to the Lord and keep them. As well as declaring it, try writing down your promises and the reasons why you've made them. Maybe set it as a screensaver or have reminders on your phone. Just something that you can go back to, to remind yourself when times get hard. Be determined. Good habits tend to fade out bit by bit. You don't abandon it all on day one, but at some point you may slip up. It will only be a small hiccup, but it can be the start of a slippery slope. At this point, we can feel shame. You've declared it to others. You've made vows to God, but you've messed up. That guilt isn't from God. He doesn't want you to feel like you've let him down, like you've disappointed him. He wants you to get up and get back on track. Just like how Jesus forgave and restored Peter after he denied knowing him. Seek support and guidance from Jesus. Learn from the mistake and see what triggered it. It is important to have determination. This is because each time you remember the habit and you complete it, you're building neurological pathways, making it easier and easier till it becomes natural. There's a 2190 rule and it says, it takes 21 days to create a habit and then a further 90 days until it becomes automatic, a permanent lifestyle change. On the other side, it takes on average six, uh, 30 to 60 days to break a habit, but it can take as long as 250. Now, while that seems like a mammoth time frame, do you really think you are too tough and not for the Holy Spirit to crack. As Ian mentioned before about the habit of waking up early to have quiet time, do you really think God is not great enough to get you out of bed early? We don't always exercise the best self-discipline trying to justify an excuse being swayed by just this want. Pray for the Spirit of God to nurture your self-control. As 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. If you once ever made the resolution to join a gym, you may have seen people who lift weights often have a buddy Someone there to spot them, encourage them, and urge them on to achieve their goals. Now, they're also there in case they need you to take the strain. This means it's essential that they both be equally strong to take that weight off the other. Like them, we too need a buddy. Someone to hold us accountable for our actions. A mutual fellowship, not with a spouse, but where the relationship aims to encourage and support each other, to stick to what they have decided and declared, and to help them when they struggle to stay determined. 
Ecclesiastes 4 verses 9 to 10 says, two are better off than one because together they work more effectively. If one of them falls, the other is there to help them up. Invest in each other and the relationship. Pray in partnership and nurture each other's faith. Give each other permission to speak about your life and the way you live it. As it is written in Hebrews 10 verses 24 to 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. That word spur comes from that pointy bit on the back of a horse rider's shoe that they used to prod into the side of the horse to make it run faster. Spurring isn't always going to be comfortable, but it's intended to reap results. Be prepared that this partnership might not always be comfortable. Just before I hand you back to Ian, let's remember that life isn't always plain sailing. There's ups and there are downs. But it's important that you don't give up if you mess up. Hard times can get in the way, cause us to fail. But keep going. Don't give up. Our God is greater than any trial. Joel once said when talking about the storms of life, these great big crashing waves coming down on us, he said, our God, Jesus, walks on those very waves. Fix your eyes on the destination, Jesus, and you too can walk on those waves. I'll leave you with some words from Hebrews 12. Firstly, we've got verses 1 to 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God set before us, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And finally, verse 5. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Brilliant lines there, weren't there? Brilliant truths. Don't give up if you mess up. And you will. Don't give up. Keep going. So, do you ever feel in this sort of part of life that you're under attack? Does anybody feel that they are from time to time, or maybe most of the time, under attack? Yeah? I'm seeing lots of nods. Well, the reason, there's a reason for this. You are. You are. 
The Bible tells us that if we want to seek God with all our hearts, to establish good habits, then the enemy is out to get us. And if the devil isn't troubling us, it's usually because we're not troubling him. 1 Peter 5.8 Stay alert, watch out. For your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And it also teaches us not to be passive. The following verse says, stand firm. Stand firm against him. And be strong in your faith. Remember, your family of believers over all the world is going through the same. So however tough it might seem, you're not unique. The devil is trying to trip every one of us up. And that's why it's so important, as Tom said, to have a buddy, to have a relationship, to have an accountability, someone who you can go, ah, at. And they will support you and encourage you. Don't do that with your spouse, incidentally. That's never a good idea. But somebody from outside your immediate family who you give permission to speak truth and encouragement and wisdom into your life. Absolutely crucial. And thanks for that, Tom. We're always under attack. We always need help. We always need support. But the good news is that Philippians 2.13, God is at work in you, giving you the will and the power to achieve his purposes. The passage we read into Peter said, God has made available to us everything we need to live the sort of life that he and we want. And 2 Timothy 1.7, he's not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. To work with the Holy Spirit in that partnership that says, it wouldn't happen if I didn't do it. But equally, I can't do it on my own. That third tense, if you like, of God working with us, the passive tense, the active tense, and the partnership tense. We do it together, and that's the language of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit has our will, he will give us the strength and the ability to see these truths through. Opportunity is now here, or nowhere. Is your head telling you, Tonight is an opportunity moment to make some of these decisions I know that I need to make for God and trust his Holy Spirit to enable me to do them. Are you thinking I'm going to fight back against some of these things I've been putting off and start the battle for godly habits today? Let's just pray on that one for a minute. Lord, we just pray as we come into your presence. There's stuff in our lives that we know that we ought to do to walk closer with you, to be in partnership with you, to see you working in our lives. Lord, I pray that we might obey your godly prompts, those purposes that we know are right, but that we've been putting off, those habits that we know should be embedded in our lives. Lord, help us to do that as we trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.
But it may be as well that tonight some of you are saying, I'm not sure how I can achieve godly habits because I'm not actually off the starting block of having God in my life anyway. And the Holy Spirit isn't part of my life. I can't do that. What do you need to know? What do you need to change? You need to know that God loves you and me so much that he did something that we couldn't do for ourselves. He became one of us. And because he was without sin, he was perfect in every way. He became sin for us. Why? So he could die in our place. And God raised him from the dead so that anyone, however bad or desperate you may be, if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. He will come into your life. He will change you. He will empower you by the Holy Spirit to live the sort of life you could only dream of. And he rose again to walk with you day by day. You know, we use the word Emmanuel at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel isn't just for Christmas. It's for every day. God with us. Every moment. And if you want to seek God in your life in that way, and you haven't done before, to create the habits of holiness for which you yearn, maybe you should pray a prayer something like this. Heavenly Father, please forgive me for my sins. Make me new. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again so that I can live for you. My life is not my own. I give it to you, all of it. Fill me with your spirit so I can serve you always. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And if you prayed either of these general prayers, I want to make it more specific. Then afterwards there'll be time for people to pray with you about the specific things you need. But don't go out of the building with unfinished business. Good habits. Opportunity is Bless you.